Americas, live and underway here on ESPN. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 322, where we celebrate Lionel Messi Herc being a man of the people. Did folks ever throw shirts at you while you were driving the streets as a player to get your autograph? Uh, not on the actual street. I have, I've had shirts thrown at me. I've had tomatoes thrown at me. I've had mm -hmm. <laughs> lots of things thrown my way. Yeah, there liquids too. Unsavory liquids that I'm hoping uh, were water. Okay, so you didn't have quite the same experience as uh, Lionel Messi uh, has during his time in South Beach. Uh, not that much of a surprise, but a little bit of a surprise. We know you are also quite the man of the people here on Football Americas. Herc, we got a lot to get to uh, on this episode of the show. Alexis Nunez is going to join us. She was not just at Herc. She was the host of the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying draw earlier today in Zurich, Switzerland. So she's going to join us from Switzerland to tell us uh, all about that. We're also going to hear from Jeff Kasuf. Today was NWSL schedule release day. That's right. Almost 50 days before the start of the NWSL season, we've got the schedule plus the Messi Ronaldo showdown, Herc, that we've all been waiting on might, might next week be in jeopardy. We'll have the details on that. But let's start with Gio Reyna and his ongoing transfer saga. The latest, according to ESPN.com, Julian Laurent, Tom Hamilton doing the reporting. Is it both Nottingham Forest out of the Premier League and Marseille out of France have agreed to terms with Borussia Dortmund over a loan move with a buy option for Reyna? ESPN sources are also saying there's two other unnamed clubs that have reached similar deals with Dortmund, meaning that now it's up to the 21-year-old American as to where he's going to continue his career. And it sounds like there are plenty of choices. Herc, based on everything we know at the moment, it is Thursday night on the East Coast. Where do you think Gio Reyna should end up? For a second, let's just go with the options that we have, okay? Mm -hmm. Olympique de Marseille, uh, Nottingham Forest, uh, Sevilla. Sevilla's about to get relegated. They're desperate need for something to change. I don't know if it'll change since the sporting director Monchi had left and he went to Aston Villa. Aston Villa's thriving, and guess who is not? That would be Sevilla. Uh, they just bowed out today at the Copa del Rey as well. Uh, Marseille, I, 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 Olympique. Do you know the situation there with, with their fans historically, the violence mm -hmm. of their fans storming the, the grounds, the, the stadiums, the threats to the players, the coaches? Marcelo Bielsa and Jorge Sampioli, they, they resign, they quit on them. Like it, it, There's something there that I don't like about that situation for Gio Reyna. It's not what it once was. And not in force. I know people are thinking, wait a second, that team that Matt Turner plays for, that team that's struggling right now in the Premier League, that team... It's not the same team per se. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, um, Nuno Espirito Santo, excuse me, uh, is a new coach there. And under him in the last six games, they've only lost twice. And in that run, they beat teams like Newcastle and Manchester United. We see there are the players who we would be, you know, in comp competition with. Morgan Gibbs White, an attacking midfielder. He's got like two goals, three assists. He's not been terrible for them, but he's not been, you know, anything that you can say is just ridiculous and you have uh, Anthony Langa from Manchester United you have Caleb Hudson Odoi you know on the wing positions that he could potentially fight for time out there but but more than that I'm gonna go with Nuno Espiritu Santo and what he has done or his ability to do to clubs do you remember his hmm. Wolves team and how competitive his Wolves team that Wolverhampton team was with him they ended up being a team that played in Europe they ended up being a team that made household names out of the like, and I'm gonna read a list here for you, okay? Out of the likes of Diogo Jota, out of the likes of Raul Jimenez, out of the likes of Adama Traore, out of the likes of all kinds of different players, Nevis, who were there at Wolves, that under this coach, under Nuno, flourished. This could be a situation where now Gio Reyna has the platform that is greater than uh, the French League, the platform that is uh, bigger than Sevilla, and I'm talking about the Premier League, to showcase something under a coach that I believe plays an attractive brand and is turning things around at Nottingham Forest. Now, of these three options, that's mm -hmm. where I would go. Nuno Espiritu Santo. I would not want to see Giovanni Reina with Gennaro Gattuso. Do you remember the last time we saw a temperamental player with Gennaro Gattuso was Chucky? Michuki, uh, yeah, Michuki. At, at Napoli. Keep him away from there. If this, these are the only choices, I will take Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I like that you say of these three teams, if these are the only choices. 
Because when I see this group of teams, my first thought is, and I don't know if you agree with me here, Herc, Gio Reyna could do a lot better. Now, maybe that's through the prism of an American fan and somebody that follows the U.S. men's national team and knows exactly what this player can be at his very best, because we've probably only at least recently seen that with the U.S. But none of these teams, Sevilla, disaster, to your point, Marseille, I think some of those issues are a little bit further in the past right now. Things to seems to have solidified a little bit. Uh, but none of these teams are, are, are wonderful places that you would say are an obvious step up from where he was at Borussia Dortmund. I think all of these, you would say, are either lateral moves or a step back. There's some things to like about Nottingham Forest. One is the formation. Uh, if we're going to just compare Nottingham Forest and Marseille, Herc, Forest played the 4-2-3-1 under uh, Nuno, which yeah. is basically the same thing that the U.S. is now playing under Berhalter, and it's the one lineup that has the position for Gio Reyna, that middle central attacking midfield. I know you talk about Morgan Gibbs-White and you talk about those stats, and the stats in, in league play are not overwhelming, but that's a player with his own very serious youth national team resume. And right now, and that's actually, I think, the biggest question here is what's going to happen with that player? Because one, he's injured, so if, he's, if that's a long-term injury, that position could be there for Reyna. But two, he's also been linked quite a bit, especially right now, with a potential move away from Nottingham Force. I think the, the most recent links I've been seeing are Newcastle. So if he goes and that position opens up, it changes how I, th I feel about Nottingham Forest. The other obvious Nottingham Forest, I think, benefit is what you get with the agent. This is a club that is almost entirely run by George Mendez. Not only is Nuno a client of George yep. Mendez, yep. right? So if there's a problem there with Gio Reyna, he just rings up the coach. The owner at Nottingham Forest is effectively a business associate of, of George Mendez. So if Mendez is the super agent, and he's very well connected with this club. I got to think he's vetted this club well. He knows they're going to find a, a way to use him. And that's why Nottingham Forest is attracted to you. But I don't think this feels in any way permanent, Herc. With where they're at in their own relegation fight, and, and you can point to Sevilla, right now Nottingham Forest, they're facing their own points deduction. That could come down. This team could be going down. And if they get relegated... This is shades of the three guys ending up at Leeds and going down last year. So for me, there's there's that one big thing about Nottingham Forest that I don't really I don't really see it as a long-term home for Gio Reyna. I don't think any of these are long-term homes for Gio Reyna. I, th I think that's the underwhelming part about this, Sevi. That's why you think that Gio Reyna is better than this. And the fact is Gio Reyna is not better than any Premier League team because he hasn't proven it over the last year. That's a reality. He hasn't stayed mm -hmm. fit and he's not gotten on the field. So it doesn't matter how big of a fan you are of Gio Reyna, he's not proven to be a Premier League player today. And it hurts for a lot of American fans to hear, but that's a reality. The best thing My about Giovanni, Giovanni Reyna, and I'm sure you will agree with me there, is his ceiling. Because you know that he's got a massive ceiling and that he's got a talent level you can exploit. Mm -hmm. That doesn't automatically mean he's better than every single team in the Premier League and that he doesn't need to start somewhere. Is this the means to all? Is this where the road ends? He will be a Nottingham Forest or, or a Marseille player or, or a Sevilla player for the rest of his life? No. But he's mm -hmm. got to play. He started two games, two games this year for, in, in the Bundesliga for, for Dortmund. So he's got to do something. I mean, you talk about a ceiling, is a, is a, even if it's the Premier League, is a relegation fight the best place for a player who we're talking about their ceiling? No, I'm not I don't saying think, it's the best place. That's not right, what I'm saying at all. Because I don't think there's a lot of garbage minutes in a relegation fight, right? If Nottingham Force is up at the end of a game, they're not bringing Gio Reyna on to see it all. Do you think he's a quality so, player? I think he's a quality player, okay. but I think if he's going to go to Forest, he's got to start because I don't think there's a lot of minutes off the bench in a relegation fight for a guy like Gio Reyna. That's why the Morgan Gibbs-White next week or two is so important. If he goes there, I know Gio Reyna's good, and I know we think he has a high ceiling. Is he good enough to beat out Morgan Gibbs-White? Well, Maybe. Out, you're the is he good enough to come in mid-season and beat out Morgan Gibbs-White? That's another saying question. This, he's, he's better than all three. So you obviously think he's good enough to play there and play in front of White, in front of Gibbs-White. If that's Herc, the case... There was a time when we were talking about Gio Reyna's next spots as some of the biggest clubs in the take world. Take that yes, out of your head. Marseille, Nottingham Forest, and, take that and, out of and your head. Ruin Sevilla this are not bad. This is now on Gio Reyna, because we could sit here and blame Greg Berhalter. We could sit here and blame the people at Dortmund. We could sit here and blame everybody, okay? We could sit here and blame mm -hmm. injuries. You could sit here and blame whatever you want. At some point, it's you got to get on the field. And you have to stay on the field. I believe in Gio Reyna. You believe in Gio Reyna. Now it's time for Gio Reyna to repay that trust that everybody seems to show in him. 
There's a reason he went with Jorge Mendes, the power of a super agent. You've already mentioned how well-connected he is to this club and many others. If you have this agent and you want to get to somewhere, it doesn't mean that's an automatic, I start. He's got to play, and that playing is earned. It's not, this player is here, I won't play over him. You, you can't just think about football that way. You can't think, this man's mm -hmm. in front of me. You've got to, at some point, lift those socks up and those sleeves up and play. Win your spot. There you have it. All right, so uh, Gio Reyna with seemingly plenty of options. Uh, we'll see if by the time we meet again on Monday, if we don't have his final destination, at least for the short term, as it looks like this will be a loan with an option to buy from Borussia Dortmund whenever the move does get finalized. All right, let's move on to Jesus Ferreira, another transfer or potential transfer that'll leave you scratching your heads. Tom Bogert and The Athletic, really the uh, key reporters here on this one. Let's give them their credit. FC Dallas apparently receiving a $13 million bid, Herc, for the 23-year-old attacker from Russian club Spartak Moscow, an offer that reportedly would have been accepted until Major League Soccer nixed the deal, citing the risks for American companies doing business with Russian companies, given the many international sanctions against Russia since the invasion in Ukraine. Jesus Ferreira reportedly was negotiating personal terms with Spartak Moscow, which makes it seem like he pretty much wanted this move, Herc. In light of that, are you cool with MLS shutting down the deal? Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it. This isn't an MLS single end of the MLS is bad type of thing. This is a legal and moral issue. Uh, remind me if these FIFA sanctions over Russian clubs and their participation in Europe or any FIFA competition is still going on. Yes, it is. Remind me if Luke Goyle, who owns Spartak, has sanctions with the U.S. Treasury. Uh, yes, they do. So uh, remind me again why most... Serious teams or serious leagues around the world don't do business with these Russian clubs like the most popular and to many the best league in the world, the Premier League, who doesn't do business today with these Russian clubs. In fact, there is a case of Luis Chavez, World Cup hero for Mexico, mm -hmm. okay? Luis Chavez uh, of going to Russia and Pachuca, his club, did not want to deal with the Russian club. I won't take money from that club. So you know mm -hmm. what they did? That club, that Russian club, Okay, gives money to Luis Chavez's agent, who then gives money to Luis Chavez, so Luis Chavez can purchase his buyout clause on his own, so he can leave. Serious clubs around the world think twice when doing business with these Russian clubs. This isn't an MLS issue. MLS is bad single entity. This is a legal and moral mm. issue, and I have no problem with it. If one of us is defending MLS headquarters on this show, uh, it's something. If both of us are, then you know it's, it's I think, a rarity, an extreme yeah. rarity on this show, right? Yeah. They did the right thing here, and there's precedent. Uh, it was written in the article on The Athletic uh, a year ago, or I think maybe a year and a half ago, 2022. There was a similar situation. Christian Cáceres, Venezuelan uh, player right. for New York Red Bulls, was linked with a club in Russia. I think there was something like a $5 million That's offer. Right. He ends up going for a million to a French team. So when an offer sounds too good to be true, um, and the numbers are maybe a little bit bigger than you would expect, that there's probably something to it. That's what's going on with these Russian teams. I don't know how much morality is in this, Herc. I think if, if FC Dallas and MLS really truly believed that they could get the money out of this Russian team, they'd take $13 because that's a, that's a great haul for Jesus Ferreira. I don't have any problem here with MLS. My problems here are with the people negotiating this deal because it got pretty far down the line. <laughs> yeah, right. Should have been vetted. Dallas, the <laughs> yeah. representation for Jesus Ferreira. I'm not going to take a shot at Jesus Ferreira. You put a big bag of money in front of a 23-year-old kid and you don't tell him kind of what's attached to that. I, I understand why he might want to jump at this. But the representation, FC yeah. Dallas. Absolutely. Are you serious right now? I mean, this is borderline irresponsible. I can't believe that they would really seriously entertain this. Um, you know, and, and I got to ask what their what their goal here was with Jesus Ferreira, because now you got a player who's what starting preseason and is probably going to be pretty bummed out. We know that that moves like this falling apart at this time can really impact the athlete. Absolutely. And this is you said Jesus Ferreira might have wanted the money. He may have thought Europe, Russia is in Europe. I want to mm -hmm. get to Europe. Who knows how well vetted 
these athletes are or their representation. I put it more on the representation because there's no yeah. way. Have there you is, watched the news? Do you have a newspaper? Yeah, yeah. There, there is no way. Yeah. I, I could see Jesus Ferreira being blinded by Europe, being blinded by the money. Mm -hmm. But if your representation here, uh, this is this is what you're paid for. And this goes on both sides, not mm -hmm. just Jesus Ferreira's representation. But you said it, FC Dallas. Like, how numb do you have to be? It, the league shouldn't have to be the one who says, hey, hold on a second. Maybe this isn't a good idea. Let's not do this. Right, right. There's the economic sanctions, which is important. There's also the safety, right? We know what everything that happened with Brittany Griner, everything that happened around that. Jesus Ferreira played for the United States at a World Represented by the Cup. same that agency, is, by the way, Jesus Ferreira. There, that is an American international player that would potentially go into Russia. You can just think about uh, the potential problems that could arrive arise, excuse me, from that. All right, let's run it back, Herc, here. Let's check in on the Copa del Rey, which gives some great action over the last couple days. Quarterfinal round. Real Sociedad beats Celta Vigo 2-1. to one. Suriname International. Geraldo Becker with the game-winning goal for Real Sociedad. This is a great goal. He takes this, like, he had so much more time to go against the goalkeeper one-on-one. Geraldo Becker on his debut for Sociedad. And then in stoppage time, Luca de la Torre getting one back for Celta. Listen, last week I mentioned he wasn't starting. He's getting cup games. Last week he had a goal and an assist in the Copa del Rey. This week it's a goal too little too late, but Luca de la Torre making his case more playing time. Real Sociedad through to the semifinals. More Copa del Rey. Canada's Kyle Aaron with a goal for Mallorca as Vasco Aguirre's side shocked. League leading Girona, three to oh, two her. And Kyle Lair need needed this. And look at Javier Aguirre, hello, hello. This is a good goal, well taken, but he also drew a penalty kick here in a three to two win over league leaders Girona. Mallorca in the first semifinals of the Copa del Rey since 2009. How's Vasco gonna celebrate? Cuando salga del estadio, ¿cómo va a celebrar la victoria? La mítica frase, ¿verdad? Un whisky y a dormir, hijo. La Gabulín, ocho años. Oh, con José. Con sí, dos hielos. Herc, you're a whisky guy. Is that expensive? Yeah, eight grand expensive. <laughs> Dutch Cup, Santiago Jimenez and Feyenoord eliminating PSV in the round of 16. One nothing. Serginho Dest, Malik Tillman, and Tuki Lozano all starting for PSV with Ricardo Pepe coming off the bench. Yeah, this is their first loss for PSV against uh, Dutch competition. I mean, they had a loss in the Champions League, but that's about it. They've been perfect, and Feyenoord right here getting the best of PSV. Is this the downfall of Team CONCACAF that we're seeing? Well, might be a little bit uh, premature. They're still cruising in the league. Quentin Timber with a lone goal in the match for Feyenoord as they advance to the quarterfinals. Meanwhile, Carabao Cup in England. Fulham sees their run come to an end in the semifinals. They drew 1-1 against Liverpool Wednesday, eliminated 3-2 on aggregate. Anthony Robinson, Raul Jimenez, and Bobby de Cordova Reed all starting for Fulham. Tim Ream on the bench, but did not play Herc. They keep it going. Anthony Robinson, look, getting into it there. He's been one of the better players for Fulham. I'd actually say he has a case for player of the season for Fulham. And Raul Jimenez, the resurgence of Raul Jimenez, I should say. Of course, uh, Robinson linked with a move to Liverpool as well. FA Cup continues here on ESPN Plus with some action on Friday. We got Chelsea and Aston Villa. Maybe get a look at Leon Bailey there. Spurs against Manchester City. That's a very interesting one. Nottingham Forest uh, playing as well on Friday against Bristol City. Maybe look at Gio Reyna's next team. On Saturday, we got Fulham back in cup action against Newcastle. Sunday, Liverpool against Norwich City. Maybe a look at Josh Sargent there. Man United also playing on Sunday against Newport County on Monday. You know what to do. America's favorite League Two side, Wrexham, facing off against Blackburn. We may not talk about it a whole lot, but there will be CONCACAF World Cup qualifying for 2026, even if the U.S., Mexico, and Canada are already in as hosts. There's still another three and a half spots to be handed out to the biggest tournament in world football as we take a look at the Groups formed at today's CONCACAF World Cup qualifying draw. There's 30 teams total left for what they're calling the second round. There's another round to go after this. They're going to be split into six groups, five teams each. Uh, Honduras, your headliner in Group A. Costa Rica in Group B. Haiti in Group C. Panama, the pretty big favorite there in Group D. Jamaica and Guatemala in Group E. 
El Salvador, Puerto Rico, and Suriname uh, among the many teams that are listed in Group F. Now, I know what you're asking yourself, Herc. Where was today's draw held? Right, the very important questions. Well, Zurich, Switzerland, uh, of course, because FIFA has its offices there. They want to keep an eye on the draw. We know we've had some kind of wacky draws of late. Looking at you, Conmebol, with Copa America. Now, this draw was run incredibly smoothly, Herc, and I happen to know why, because the person in charge was none other than our friend and colleague, Alexis Nunes. Alexis, first of all, how did you get the gig and how were you so cool during that? I would have been super nervous. I'm not gonna lie, I was, I was super nervous. This is FIFA that we're talking about, so you do feel like the eyes of the world are on you, especially with Mr. President Gianni Infantino watching close by, but um, honestly, it was great. They, Of course, it's, it, it's an exciting time I think not just for FIFA, but for the CONCACAF region, the fact that the next World Cup is in the CONCACAF region. And I know it's nothing new, the USA having hosted a, a World Cup before, especially in our lifetimes as well. But this is such an unprecedented one with the fact that it's the USA, Mexico and Canada too. Very different countries, very different cultures, very different people, but still, you know, very good representatives of CONCACAF. And then the fact that this draw now, I know you kind of teased it because obviously the big guns, aka USA, Mexico and Canada, are already qualified because they're hosts. But don't forget about the rest of us, like Jamaica, who, you know, just even qualifying for a World Cup kind of feels like winning a World Cup in and of itself. So now the fact that the next World Cup has been opened up to more teams and the fact that up to eight CONCACAF teams could actually be representing the Confederation at a World Cup is just kind of mind-blowing when you think of that level of representation for our region. So it kind of feels like the stakes are a lot higher than they have been in the past. Alexis, quickly, let's talk format here, because folks are accustomed CONCACAF to the hex or what we had last time, the oct. I don't know what we ended up calling Octagon. it. Uh, things are different right now. So as best as you can kind of explain what the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying format uh, is going to be. Yeah, well, quickly, like I said, if we just look at it as just a tournament in and of itself, which is the kind of vibe that we're going for for this one. Obviously, you no know, USA, Mexico and Canada. So the rest of the 30 teams, as you mentioned, have been divided into six groups of five. So each um, team will play each other twice. Oh, there I am. Each team will play each other uh, two home games and two away games each country will get. And then the top two teams of each group will advance to what is known as the final round. Now, of course, all of the big guns, and I mean the 30 teams complete, they will start off in June. But there is still some matches coming up in March, and that's the four lowest ranked teams um, in CONCACAF. We're talking about Anguilla, US Virgin Islands, um, as well as the British Virgin Islands and Turks and Caicos. They will play in the playoffs for the right to play with the best of the, the other boys um, in June. And then after that, we're talking about towards the end of 2025, that's the final round. After the 12 teams come out of these six groups, they will be placed um, into groups of four, three groups of four, and then the winners of those groups, so three, will join the USA, Mexico, and Canada at the 2026 FIFA World Cup. But the runners-up of those groups will be heading to a playoff so, which is why I say there's still two more spots up for grabs for CONCACAF teams uh, to make it to the World Cup. So, we could have up to eight, and I think that's just exciting. You know, the only thing I don't like about this, Seb and Alexis, is let's say I was listening to my good friend Jose Del Valle speak about Guatemala. Guatemala would have to go play Jamaica in Jamaica, but Jamaica wouldn't have to go play Guatemala mm -hmm. in Guatemala. That's the problem with this draw. Uh, essentially, it's not a home and away versus the same team. There are some teams that are favored here, which makes these groups very, very interesting. The luck of the draw is going to determine the World Cup. So, Alexis, let's talk about this group. What's the most interesting group of you or the group of death for you? Do you know what? I'm going to put the Jamaica's group to one side, of course, because right before Jamaica was drawn with Guatemala, I read a stat of Guatemala's biggest um, World Cup qualifying win where they won 10-0 and they had 10 different scorers. And that was only back in 2021, so not that far off. And Jamaica's defense will definitely have their hands full with that, but we'll get to that in a bit. I think actually Group B, which has shock Costa Rica, actually looks like quite an intriguing group for me. And it has Costa Rica, which 
Yes, on paper, definitely clear, clear favors. Costa Rica have qualified for the last three World Cups. They have a certain pedigree as well. This is nothing new for them. But they also have Grenada, Trinidad and Tobago, who remember went to the World Cup back in 2006 with our boy, Shaka Hislop, Zaykitsen and the Bahamas. And I just want to say Trinidad and Tobago is definitely a very intriguing um, matchup for Costa Rica. I mean, TNT have given us some great footballers like Shaka, like Kenwin Jones, and like a certain man by the name of Dwight York as well. And of course, the Soka Warriors have had a fall, but the fact that this tournament has kind of opened up so much, they have actually been quite competitive, at least locally. So I think now will be a big test for them to go up against the likes of Costa Rica. I still expect Costa Rica to top this group, but also St. Kitts and Nevis and Grenada, I know many people probably, unless you're in the Caribbean like me, will know much of them, but they have definitely invested in their football over the years with the idea of giving these World Cup qualifiers a nice run. And I think that that could definitely come into play. So they could be potential banana skins for Costa Rica. Again, I still expect them to go through. But if we put Costa Rica through, I still wouldn't be surprised if St. Kitts and Nevis or even Grenada could cause Trinidad and Tobago some trouble. We might have to get Shaka back in goal. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Hey, Zev, get, 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 I know we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk Jamaica in a second, but can we briefly? Like that's a semi-group of death for me right there. Because if you think about Jamaica, Guatemala, uh, they're a very good team. Um, we saw what they did in the Gold Cup. Jamaica is an enigma. You, you can get the good Jamaica, which are steamroll teams, or the bad Jamaica that doesn't show up. And the Dominican Republic, remember, for the first time in their history, qualified for U20 World Cup for Olympic Games. Got a very interesting generation coming up. A lot of those players in Spanish football. It's it's interesting group for me. All right. Uh, she did mention Jamaica. So, and I know that we found out today, Alexis Nunes, a woman of many talents. She's also a woman of many passports. So let's check in on that Jamaican heritage, Alexis. Give us kind of what your friends and family back home are saying, not just about this draw, but maybe about the expectations around this Jamaican team and qualifying for the 2026 World Cup, which we know, of course, would be the first time back at the World Cup since 1998. Guys, first of all, I literally only have one passport. <laughs> it's the right one. It's the right one. And let me tell you, it no, because I will happily trade it for your U.S. passports where you can get into so many countries <laughs> without a visa. You know I need a visa to breathe outside on my Jamaican passport. But we move. Proudly Jamaican, obviously. And yes, this is a very interesting group for the reggae boys. I got to do the draw today with Ricardo Bibi Gardner, who, you know, is a Jamaican great who went to the 98 World Cup. He was still very young. He was only 18 years old. And I actually asked him because I feel like this is the most hype I've felt about a reggae boys team since that crop of players that took us to the World Cup back in 98. And I asked him, how do you think they compare? You know, do you think they're more talented than you guys were? Or do you think that uh, maybe you guys still had the edge because you already made it to the World Cup? And he said he felt like the 98 group of players had that raw talent and they just went out. And, and obviously luck was on their side. However, this group of Jamaican players has a lot more experience. And I mean, you talk about the, the regular local boys I want to talk about. Andre Blake, only Jesus saves more at Philadelphia Union. He has been an absolute <laughs> stalwart in MLS as well as for Philadelphia and Jamaica. You talk about Leon Bailey, who is doing absolute bits for Aston Villa recently. Um, Mikhail Antonio, who maybe is on the wrong side of age if we're going to look ahead to 2026, but he, if he gets fit again, he can still definitely help the reggae boys in qualifying. And then you have so many more of the young players as well. You have Joel Latibadier, who's playing at Coventry City in the championship and doing well. Um, you have Damari Gray as well, who's quite young too. So there's a nice group of players who have a lot of experience behind them and more experience than we've seen. If Jamaica doesn't qualify for the World Cup this time around, with the USA, Mexico and Canada already qualifying... I will be absolutely shocked. I will buy all of you a hundred drinks because this, I think, is the most talented crop of Jamaican players. I think we should top this group. Guatemala definitely will give us some issues. Dominican Republic as well, probably. Um, but I think they should be able to either handle the British Virgin Islands or the U.S. Virgin Islands as well as Dominica. But I think overall what let Jamaica down in the last round of qualifiers was Yes, they got all of the players that they wanted at one time, but we all know that you need time to get the players to gel and to be on the same page and to find a style, find an identity and have them all understand that. 
they didn't have that at last time. They had a lot of the players like Mikhail Antonio, whose passports got delayed because of COVID. So they kind of just threw them out there as a starter and they just didn't know how to mesh. Now they've had time to build on that. They have a new coach in Halgrimson, who, by the way, took Iceland to the World Cup. So he's now with Jamaica, trying to do the same thing. And I think there's a lot of hype around this team and it's, it's very much justified. There she is, Alexis Nunes, putting the pressure squarely on the reggae boys ahead of the start of a uh, World Cup qualifying later this year. Alexis Nunes, thanks uh, so much for the time. One of the busiest people at ESPN. I think tomorrow she's going to be at Chelsea against Villa in the FA Cup, which, of course, you can watch right here on ESPN+. Plus. Also on ESPN+, Plus, we got La Liga. Big doubleheader on Saturday. Real Madrid against Julian Araujo and Las Palmas in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we got Mallorca. So Javier Aguirre and company taking on Johnny Cardoso and Real Betis. Javier Chicharito Hernandez is officially back at Chivas. 14 years after he left his boyhood club for Manchester United and the Premier League, Chicharito returns to Liga Mekis at the age of 35 and fresh off a four-year stint with the LA Galaxy, which of course ended with a serious knee injury from which Chicharito is still recovering. Nevertheless, there's lots of excitement around this move for all involved including one very special Sir Alex Ferguson. Chicharito, is your old boss here. First of all, I want to congratulate you on your return to your old club, back to Mexico, where it all started, where I found you, signed you, and you were a great, fantastic player for us. You had a great career. I think now when you go back to your old club, you have an opportunity to add your experience and give your experience to all the players there. So, regards to your family, have a great time. More goals to come. All the best. All right, so Chicharito is back. Also returning to Mexico, Andres Guardado, who was presented to his new fan base this week after making the move from Real Betis to Leon in Liga MX. Over 15,000 people showed up to his presentation where Andres Guardado spoke with ESPN's Leon Lecanda. Let's hear what he had to say. Para seguir jugando necesitaba como este cambio, ¿no? El algo nuevo, algo ilusionante, un nuevo vestidor, nuevos compañeros, nuevo, nueva ciudad. Eso durante todos los cambios que tuve en mi carrera siempre era algo que me motivaba mucho y me gustaba, ¿no? Yo creo que no hay nada mejor como ir a, a los lugares donde te sientes valorado y donde sientes que o donde sienten que todavía puedes ser útil, ¿no? Y que puedes ayudar eh, no solo en la cancha sino fuera también. En algún momento dado. ¿Te dolió decir no regresé al Atlas, el club donde naciste, el club donde te formaste, el club donde debutaste? Te mentiría si te digo que no, o sea, claro que sí, es el club que me que siempre soñé con, con regresar. Este, es verdad que tampoco tenían la obligación de, de abrirme las puertas ni, ni, de, ni de apostar un regreso, ¿no? ellos tienen otra filosofía de trabajo y es totalmente entendible y válida, ¿no? les ha funcionado, ¿no? les ha ido muy bien. Pero pues yo lo, lo, a lo que voy es más por, por, por el cariño, ¿no? Yo crecí ahí, tengo desde los siete años pertenecía al Atlas y seré atlista toda la vida. O sea, no, esto no me quita ahora los colores que, con los que crecí. Eso eh, va a estar ahí siempre, la, la, la sangre rojinegra la voy a tener siempre. Y obviamente que, que me hubiera gustado sentir ese cariño que me demostró Jesús, que me demostró Grupo Pachuca y León, de parte de, de, la, de la que yo considero mi casa, ¿no? considero la, 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 pues la, el equipo que me, que me ayudó a ser quien soy a día de hoy. ¿no? All right, Herc, we got a couple legends returning to Mexican soccer. Chicharito or Principito? Who do you think has more to give to Liga MX upon their return? 
Dude, this is such a trap question. This is what I hate about working with you guys, because you, you, you and producer Beto, when you get together, is like, we got to make a question where there are no outs for this kid, because this mm -hmm. kid is like a freeway. No sitting on the fence. Yeah, this kid is like a freeway. He's got multiple outs for everything. So what can we do to put him in a corner? Listen, mm -hmm. like, like you're, you're, you're going to sit here and, and have me argue of who has more to give, the 37-year-old or the 35-year-old with a knee injury. Like, it, it, let me break this down individually, okay, which will highlight where I'm going. Andres Guardado is 37 years old and played a total of 441 minutes for, for Betis. He was not playing as much as he would like in La Liga, which doesn't mean that for Bava, Jorge Bava and Leon, the coach and Leon, he can't be a productive player. Whether it's in the midfield with his expertise for Fidel Ambriz, the young promising Mexican footballer who's got a massive future ahead of him, or as a left back, or as a number eight, or, 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 or as a 10, or off the bench, or even what I think is his greater impact is post-career. He was sold with the project that is Leon, mm -hmm. post-career, whether that's coaching, a sporting director, part of the directiva, the ownership, whatever that case may be, I think that's where he will add his expertise. That's, that's where I think he will have the biggest impact for Club Leon. On the other hand, there's no guarantee of Chicharito Hernandez playing out his contract and staying with Chivas at some capacity. I, I don't see him in a role like that. But a healthy Javier Hernandez, I think, does more on the field. A healthy Javier Hernandez does more on the field. Yeah. 15,000 people at Andres Guardado's presentation. So good amount of people for your presentation. Hell yeah. That's great. Landon Donovan was about that for Leon, okay? Javier El Chicharito Hernandez will sell out El Estadio Akron. That mm -hmm. is almost 50,000 people who will be there for his presentation. Movie stars, artists, singers, whatever the case may be, they will be on hand. It's a spectacle, a celebration. This is what Javier Hernandez encompasses. Whether you love him, or you love to hate him, whether you believe he is or he isn't, he's a polemic figure and a living legend in Chivas. So when it comes, who can give more by mm -hmm. osmosis? It's Javier. If he's healthy, mm -hmm. on the field. If he's not off the field, he's already done more than Chivas has done off the field in quite mm -hmm. some time. They sold out his jersey, his signed jersey. They had a select, I don't even know how many that you can buy online. It was like 10, 15 minutes, sold out. 50,000 will go there to watch him on his unveiling. If he's healthy, mm. he will score goals. I don't think it'll be this season. I've been there. I've been there. I don't think it'll be this season. But I think for what's the future, what is the mm -hmm. future, next season, producer Beto's telling me they, they project him to play uh, week 10. So week 10 and above. And the future, next season, mm. Leagues Cup, uh, Copa America, because he's not officially retired, and Jimmy Lozano has said that everybody is in the mix, including Javier Hernandez. That is all possible. I love what you guys are doing. The Andres Guardado versus Chicharito angle. I'm here for it. 17 years versus playing in Manchester United, versus playing in Real Madrid, versus being one of the best players in the Bundesliga ways at Leverkusen. I don't think there's a comparison. And I think when you talk about who can give more, by pure osmosis, it's Javier sure. Hernandez. Yeah, I mean, definitely if we're talking off the field. You just said the numbers there, the presentation. It'll basically be probably three to one fans that turn up. Leon is not Chivas, and with all due respect to Andres Guardado, he's not Chicharito. I get it. But I think there's a really big question about that health. You talk sure. about him not being ready till Jornada 10. That's a serious knee injury that he's coming off of um, at 35 years old. So the productivity was there when healthy with the LA Galaxy, but there's some big questions there about what's left of Chicharito. There might not be a lot left of Andres Guardado, but I think you have a better idea of what it is, right? Of, of what the Absolutely. role he's going to play and of what level he's coming from. Yeah, he wasn't playing a big role at Real Betis, but he was still playing some minutes. He was getting some starts for a team that, by the way, is only a few points removed from European spots right now in the Spanish table for something he was there, Her.
No, I'm not, you cannot discount the importance of his career or what he's done. Uh, but even at Leon, I'm not even sure of his role. You look at that setup. He's not going to play over Fidel Ambriz, El Jefecito. He's not going to play over him. They're not going to play over that promising Mexican player. Uh, Jorge Baba, the coach, he was at Liverpool and Uruguay, and he was a champion at Liverpool and Uruguay with a few players that he brought over. And both those mm. players have seen time already this season in the midfield centrally. Medina and Napoli. So, so there's a question of where he will play. Andres Guardado also on the left-hand side is played as a left-back, though he does not like it. Well, Rodriguez plays there. A promising Mexican player as well has been capped by the Mexican national team. So there, there are some questions, and I don't think it's as clear-cut for Andres Guardado as most will, would seem, but I agree with you. If we're being fair to both, he's going to play. Andres Guardado mm. will play. We don't know that at Chicharito just yet. Yeah. Doubts about where Guardado will play, no doubt about where... Chicharito will play, and he'll be very close to some goals, which, of course, we know is huge for the impact that he'll make at Chivas. Let's stay in Liga MX, where we had some history last night, at least for Brandon Vasquez. His first goal for Rayado since the move over from FC Cincinnati, Herc. It came in a 1-1 draw against Querétaro. Yeah, keeper error or not, the right place, right time, powerful header. This was as good as it would get for Querétaro. It's good to see the big man get the start. Eric Aguirre on the bench. He could have gone with the Uruguayan. He goes with Brandon Vasquez in this alternate squad. They move this game up. Most MLS, or excuse me, most Liga MX teams want to be fresh for the Conca Champ CONCACAF Champions Cup. That is a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the clubs that Brandon Vasquez was linked to uh, over the past summer was Borussia Mönchengladbach. They'll be on ESPN Plus on Saturday, taking on your Bundesliga league leaders, Bayer Leverkusen. That's first place against 12th place. Maybe we'll see a Joe Scally and Jordan Peacock for Gladbach. The NWSL schedule is out. Actually, Herc, I don't know if you saw it. I first saw this on Sports Center earlier mm, today. How about right. that for a schedule drop? Uh, regular season begins March 16th, one day after the Challenge Cup, which will be played between Gotham, your defending champions, and San Diego Wave, your Shield winners. Regular season comes to an end November 3rd, where eight teams will qualify for the playoffs ahead of the NWSL Championship to be played November 23rd. Now, of course, we're very excited here at ESPN for our part of the schedule, which will kick off March 16th on ABC, nonetheless. Kansas City current against Portland Thorns. Of course, Kansas City working on that beautiful brand new stadium. We'll have some playoff games on ABC as well, two quarterfinals, one semifinals, and we will have plenty of chances to see the defending champions, Gotham FC on the ESPN family of networks seven times in 2024. For more on the National Women's Soccer League, thrilled to welcome into the show our good friend and colleague, Jeff Kasouf. He's got some uh, great work over at ESPN.com right now, including an article where he grades some of the big moves that we've seen around the NWSL over the last couple of weeks. We'll get to that in just a second here. But Jeff, it's schedule release day. Your first thoughts on the schedule. I, I got to point out one thing. I love the fact that it's balanced. Now we can really put some weight on the Shield <laughs> oh, winners. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> I love a balanced schedule. I love getting a schedule in January. That's a first. Mm -hmm. uh, look, I'm excited for that game in Kansas City to open that stadium, first stadium built for an NWSL team. 11 years ago, this league kicked off with a first game, same matchup, well, sort of the same matchup, Portland in Kansas City, a different iteration of Kansas City, and they played it on a high school football stadium. So 11 years mm -hmm. later to be in a stadium, purpose-built for that team on the riverfront. It's going to be an incredible scene, sold out, I'm sure. So I think that's an exciting one. You guys talked about Gotham pointing to that championship rematch on June 30th with the rain. And and then, you know, I think uh, obviously the end of the season, I'm disappointed no decision day, but, you know, I think we're going to have uh, quite a finale again because every single year this, this league delivers on the parity. We've got eight playoff teams now, up from six. So, I think we're going to have another season that comes down to the wire, certainly for playoff spots, and, and I would guess the Shield again as well. All right, well, let's talk about the Challenge Cup, Jeff. I mean, what's going on with the Challenge Cup today? Change in the tournament format, only one game. What's the future look like? There were a lot of complaints last year. I'm hoping this isn't a case where it's, they treat it like the Open Cup. What's going on with the Challenge Cup? Yeah, so Challenge Cup is now a one-off. I think the best comparison here is Community Shield in, in a U.S. version of it, which is uh, the NWSL Shield winner, which is the regular season champion, versus the NWSL championship winner. That's the format they've committed to going forward. Look, 
Could that change in the future? I'm sure it could. I mean, it, it, clearly this is a, a tournament that's been tweaked a lot, right? It started out as a, a pandemic tournament to replace the regular season in 2020. It became a preseason tournament, then became this sort of stretched out FA Cup type of thing. Um, and, and the problems with it really were uh, it filled in on weekdays and it just it congested the schedule in an unnecessary way. So uh, those were really some of the complaints about it. And, and this really solves that. Uh, they, there are more more to come in terms of friendlies and tournaments, I think. But, um, you know, in terms of the Challenge Cup itself, it makes it a one-off event. It's before the season, doesn't count toward the regular season. And it, it has some stakes to it, right? I mean, champions versus Shield winners. We always love to have the debate. You know, Seb was just talking about put some weight on the Shield. So now we get to open, presumably, each season now with uh, last year's Shield winner versus the championship winner and, and uh, some stakes on the line. Jeff, I mentioned your article over on the website, and I think the move that for me has maybe stood out the most uh, over the offseason is Emily Fox going from the National Women's Soccer League to Arsenal. I wonder what you make of the move, both from Fox's perspective, right, what it means for her U.S. future, and then bigger picture, do you think it might be the first of many moves of U.S. players going over to Europe? Because after the last World Cup, that's something that we talked about quite a bit as something that U.S. players might need to do in an effort to keep up. Yeah, I actually just spoke with Emily Fox uh, for an article that we'll have on ESPN.com soon, and and she spoke about this. And, and it, this was a dream of hers, the, the European dream of sorts, before the World Cup. And I did ask her, you know, did the World Cup sort of push you along in any way? And she she didn't feel that it did. I mean, she felt like she said flat out she would have made this decision World Cup year or not. Uh, and it was something that she thought about. Actually, she thought about going to Europe when she was drafted number one overall a few years ago, decided the NWSL was right at that time, get her feet under her as a pro. And, and now is the right time for her. So it's a big move for her. I think she's already at 25 among the best fullbacks in the world. This is a move she views as a way to refine her game and, and really firmly make her the best fullback in the world and, and round out her game in a way that maybe the NWSL didn't quite offer a, a different look, so to speak, which to, to your point, Seb, is, is a topic that we've been talking about, right? As Emma Hayes comes in, as the U.S. tries to get back on that podium going forward. So I don't know if this will be a trend. I think there was that thought, right? And the winter transfer window comes and goes, you know, Gotham gobbles up half the U.S. women's national team, it feels like. Most of the U.S. players stayed in the NWSL even when they had the free agency at, at their will. So, um, you know, I think it's a case by case, which is effectively what what Emily Fox told me. And I, I don't think she'll be the last player by any means, but I don't know that we'll get that mass wave. I think it'll be really interesting to see if that actually plays out because the NWSL has, you know, it's, it's pros and cons. So does Europe. I mean, I, th I think that you, you can't really paint either as a monolith, right? So it, it's really a case by case. What's the club you're getting into? What's the player we're talking about? Who's the player? And, and what are the needs for that player to develop? All right, Seth's talking about players leaving to Europe. What about players from Europe coming to the league here domestically, NWSL? I remember last time you were here, you said that there may be a perception and a bad perception of the level of play for the NWSL abroad in Europe. So what is a signing like Jesse Fleming, a record signing by the Portland Timbers from Chelsea? Well, how, what significance, significance excuse me, will that hold within the league or here uh, for France? Yeah, I mean, I think for Portland, it's it's a big deal, right? I mean, they, they lose Crystal Dunn in free agency. That's that's a big loss in midfield. You know, I, I think Jesse Fleming is is an immediate answer to that, along with you're developing Olivia Moultrie. You've got Hina Sugita. You've got Sam Coffey in the number six. So um, I think it, it shores up some questions, some immediate questions that Portland had in a, in a very positive way. And then at the league level, um, look, I mean, it's been quite a transfer window of sort of one-upmanship on what's the biggest salary. I mean, a few weeks ago, we are talking to Maria Sanchez about the biggest deal in history. A couple weeks later, it's Mallory Swanson. It's the same thing happening right now in this transfer market with what are the biggest fees going on, both globally and in and out of the NWSL. And, and those are those answers, those records are changing on a near daily basis. So, you know, I think that's a positive sign for the global market. I think it's a positive sign that the NWSL is in that conversation and has incoming players in it. And, you know, I think that there are as much as there are concerns, I think there are some perception issues. You know, the case by case remains, but but there there were some wins for the NWSL in this transfer window. Fleming coming in, being one of them, keeping some of those U.S. players, many of whom went to Gotham in the NWSL was a big win. And then honestly, I mean, I wrote about this as well. The 
the coaching changes or ability to retain. You look at Casey Stoney being brought up as a Chelsea possible replacement at Chelsea for Emma Hayes. San Diego Wave go out and make sure that won't happen. They give her a long-term extension. Jonah Geraldez coming in for the spirit. I think there were a lot of positive coaching moves and the type of coaches that will attract some really top players as well. So I think it was a really positive transfer window for the NWSL in, in a lot of ways. Jeff, before we let you go, I want to ask about trades because it's something that's very common in American professional sport. But when we compare American soccer to global soccer, uh, it's something that doesn't really exist in global soccer. And those are the players that the NWSL is, in theory, competing for and will continue to compete for. Over the last few weeks, we've seen really almost desperate reaction from players disappointed in finding out that they're being traded, that they don't really control their own destiny. For me here in Washington, the best example is Ashley Sanchez, right? She says she was shocked and disappointed to find out that she was getting traded to North Carolina Courage. How big an issue is this for the NWSL as they look to compete on a global stage? And is it something that the league might have to, I don't know if you can ever get rid of trades, but seriously limit? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I don't know if you can, uh, certainly in the system that exists right now, right? So I think I think it's twofold, right? It is an issue for international players who don't understand it and, and the uncertainty that exists. And it's prevented signings flat out in the past. Um, now, some of the, the perception is shifting. I think some of the approach is shifting from some teams, right? We saw this around the expansion draft. There are teams that have said very explicitly, very publicly, you know, it's not that we won't ever make a trade, but we will work with a player if they want to go somewhere, mm. if they feel they need to be somewhere else and, and have some empathy in that. I, I mean, that's a key part of it. At the end of the day, it is still a mechanism that exists in a world that is a business and it, for teams that are competing against each other and trying to be better. Right. And we heard those sentiments pretty, pretty flatly out of Kansas City this week and, and a little bit to an extent also out of Washington that. This is a mechanism that exists. We took advantage of it. We did the best we could by people, in in their opinions anyway. Uh, but it exists. So you know, I don't I don't know how you get rid of it flat out. I mean, free agency. All of these things relate back to free agency, right? And and the fact mm. that it finally exists in the NWSL is a positive. It still has its limits, certain level of terms before you can reach free agency. All these things. You know, getting rid of a draft. Well, you need full free agency. Getting rid of trades. Certainly, you need full free agency. I think most teams and owners will probably, uh, I, I don't know if we'll ever see that day, quite frankly, but um, mm. I, I think it's something that is a concern, will always be a concern for the NWSL in terms of how it's viewed externally. And and it's a, you know, it's a continuation. I mean, I, I, I find this interesting in that women's soccer, the NWSL came from this organic place, right? And now it's shifting into this bigger business model. And this is sort of, in American sports, this is part of, the business and and it's maybe not something that necessarily want players want to have replicated but you know it, it's something that's part of that big business that the nwsl strives for so it, it's one of those tension points as as this league grows all right there he is jeff kasuf check out his work over at espn.com jeff great to have you with us here on football americas thanks again for having me and a reminder, March 16th, set your calendars. Kansas City Current against the Portland Thorns. Coverage starts at 1 p.m. Eastern time. That's Saturday on ABC as well as ESPN Deportes. All right, Herc, we've been promising more interviews from our recent visit to MLS Media Day a couple weeks ago. Next on our list, Ilya Sanchez, the 33-year-old Spanish midfielder for LAFC, now heading into his third season with the black and gold since first joining from SKC ahead of the 2022 campaign. Do you look at last season as a success or a failure? No, definitely the expectations we have an, as an organization are the highest uh, probably uh, within the league. Um, there are other organizations that uh, maybe can look at uh, a, a season like Hours last season as a success. Uh, there are other organizations that, with that same schedule, they would just focus on maybe one competition mm -hmm. instead of all of them. Uh, there are different ways to look or view uh, this situation, but um, I like to think and what I get from the management, from Steve, uh, from the coaching staff, and definitely from the fans is that uh, the supporters is that. Um, uh, 
we cannot look back on what happened other than to learn from it. And I wouldn't like to name or to call uh, a season other than just uh, saying that uh, we are not happy with it. One of the important players in the lead-up to that fight of those trophies was Denny Bowanga, who scored almost 40 goals in all competitions that last uh, season. I'm curious, you as one of the leaders of LAFC, what do you make, what are your thoughts of Denny Bowanga going public with wanting to leave, wanting a new contract? What are your thoughts on this situation? I just hope that um, he... Um, He's feeling well, you know, like um, uh, what I see is uh, that maybe he's upset uh, with uh, and I know that he's upset because we lost the final. Uh, he's a very competitive uh, player and uh, person. So um, everything I try to do or LAFC is trying to do is uh, make him happier. Um, and I think that that goes with building the strongest uh, squad possible for this season and, and surrounding him uh, and the rest of the players with a team that is capable to win the trophies. Um, we've talked uh, during the season about uh, rules and how that punished our team uh, from 2022 to 2023 um, because we the had to MLS we had to let go uh, Chicho Arango, Cristian Tello, right. Seba Mendes, etc., etc. Gareth retired, so uh, it wasn't easy at all for us to um, rebuild uh, after winning MLS Cup. But this is uh, what's the competition about, and I think we did a, a good job. Uh, last season and hopefully we can do the same or even better for 2024 and Denis uh, feels that uh, he uh, needs to stay, he wants to stay. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. One around Denis, you just mentioned it, there's been uncertainty around Carlos Vela's future. How does that impact the expectations for this season and kind of the day-to-day -day as we go through the preseason? Well, with uh, Denis, for example, he has contract. So um, that's something I didn't mention in the in the last question. So um, no matter what uh, his, uh, um, his uh, goals are, um, under contract you have to stay or find a solution but um, with Carlos uh, he has no contract uh, with LAFC but um, I hope that uh, he can be part of the squad uh, for next season and until he decides to uh, move on so for us uh, he's a reference uh, he's our leader and for me as a teammate um, and as a player if I know that uh, a player of his quality uh, is in my team, I know or I can assume that the team is going to be fighting for trophies again. So, um, yeah, I don't know much about his personal situation right now, uh, but uh, uh, hopefully we can learn about it uh, a little bit more in the next few weeks. <clears throat> All right, Herc, that interview was actually shot, just to be honest with folks, two weeks ago, and there's still questions about both Boanga and Carlos Vela. What do you make of it? How serious are LAFC's roster issues right now? Roster issues? Oh, here, here's the thing. On paper, you're like, wait a second. 13 players are out. Two potentially more could leave. Your biggest players and Carlos Vela, the first franchise player, and Denny Boanga, a guy who scored 40 goals last year. And we're not supposed to be worried. Like, if you're an LAFC fan, you're not supposed to be worried. But think about this. When has LAFC made moves and they've not worked out for them to be competitive mm -hmm. the next year? Mm -hmm. They've reinvented themselves. No matter if they let the Walker Zimmerman's of the world go or if they let the Bob Bradley's of the world go, whoever they let go at whatever moment, John Thorrington and this LAFC brass keep delivering. They keep bringing a competitive squad. They keep making big splashes. So I'm not going to freak out right now and say, what's going on? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because of their track record, which 
to his credit, John Thornton pretty much said today in his presser, we've been through this before. Now, I look mm -hmm. on paper, Hugo Lloris, Omar Campos, this young Italian kid, Lorenzo from Juventus, those are the only three incoming players, but everything smells, everything screams they're doing something big. Mm. Now, as that pertains to a Denny Boanga, big-time player, and a Carlos Vela, mm. legendary player for LAFC, well, remains to be seen. But I'm not going to freak out right now about their roster. Yeah. I was reading an article in the L.A. Times today. I think it was Kevin Baxter. 16 players right now, Herc, on the LAFC roster. Now, if this was another league, certainly if this was Liga Mekis, where you got to jump right into the regular season and you got to figure things out pretty quickly, certainly if you're going to end up as one of the top seeds ahead of Liga, I might be a little bit worried. But we've said this a lot. For a lot of MLS teams, man, the beginning of the regular season, even the middle of the regular season, hardly matters. And I think that's even more the case for a club like LAFC coming off of 2023. They're going to be defined, their 2024 is going to be defined based on the trophies they win or not. And there's plenty of time for them to both get either of these two guys back, neither of these seems to be a done deal that they're leaving, uh, or potentially replace them. And we know that they've been kind of stockpiling international spots. So you're right. You've got a lot of faith, faith in John Thorrington and company, but there's a lot of spots. It's not just that they only have 16 players. That means you can add up to another, what, 14? What's the official roster size now, 30? Yeah, so there's a lot yeah. of influx. It's there 26 that you can have. plus you can have now the LA. There's different ways to do it. I'll leave you with this. John Thorrington asked to be judged at the end of February. So something's mm. up. Something's up. There you have it. Uh, regular season starts in less than a month. Uh, Preseason just started for LAFC. They got their first friendly, I think, in three days' time. Now, as far as Carlos Vela is concerned, there's been a lot of talk about another potential destination in Major League Soccer, not far from LAFC. In fact, it's the LA Galaxy. Now, that talk may well have originated, Herc, on this show with some of your words about six weeks ago, but we'll talk about that in just a second. Right now, Let's hear from Will Kuntz. He is, of course, the ex-LAFC front office member who's now very much involved in the front office at the LA Galaxy. Here's what he had to say about Carlos Vela. No, I mean, Carlos and I have a you know, pre-existing relationship from our time working together uh, in the past, but uh, no, there are no imminent conversations to have Carlos join our group. No imminent conversations, uh, Herc. All right, we've seen this shot down elsewhere that this is just a kind of a, a pie-in-the-sky idea. What do you think? Should the Galaxy actually consider it? Oh, should the Galaxy consider it? Oh. It depends on the price. And I think mm -hmm. that's the issue right now with LAFC and Carlos Vela. It's the price, mm -hmm. right? Does Carlos Vela feel disrespected enough by the price of LAFC, LAFC's offer that he would go to the Galaxy. Would the Galaxy not care enough about Carlos Vela's past as an LAFC player to welcome them with open arms? Listen, I know people hate this. LAFC fans hate this. A sector mm -hmm. of the Galaxy fans hate this. But Carlos Vela, Carlos Vela, if there's one thing he wants to be is happy. And you know what makes mm -hmm. Carlos Vela happy? Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Los Angeles. Oh, and yeah. producer Beto said, and happy wife, happy life, right? Absolutely. Right. His wife wants to stay in Los Angeles. Now, I was there when he referenced, Carlos Vela referenced his desire to stay in Los Angeles and how he wants to continue to play in Los Angeles and how he would love to end his career in Los Angeles. Never once did he say LAFC. There are two teams in Los Angeles. Call me crazy all you want. Mm -hmm. But where there's smoke, there's fire. And there is more smoke to this than people mm -hmm. realize. Talking about that smoke, her, the LA Galaxy have also had a lot of smoke around their offseason, right? I don't know if you've seen all the links with young wingers, both in South America and, and some in Europe. And we're talking about big money, you know, $10, $12 million, the potential transfer fees that are being floated. One thing that hasn't happened, though, is none of those deals have really truly been finalized yet. So if those deals aren't going to go through for the L.A. Galaxy, then this deal becomes a lot more interesting. We know that the, uh, the birdies around Los Angeles, the ones that speak to uh, Football America sources, are telling us that the, the finances of this deal, if, if Carlos Vela stays in LFC, are going to be quite different. 
Those same birdies are also saying that the interest from the galaxy and potentially back from Vela is quite real. Oh, is quite goodness. real. We're just saying. So very interesting mm. there. Could you imagine what it would mean for the rivalry? You know, yeah. sometimes you got to fake rivalries in this league. Yeah. This would be rocket fuel for this rivalry. Yeah, I think I said the, that. These sources aren't league sourced either. No, 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 no. Let's not burn our sources any more than we already have there. Let's get to the parting shot here. Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo Herc, were supposed to face off in Saudi Arabia next week. But Ronaldo's participation is in doubt uh, after suffering a calf injury, one that has caused him to miss his China trip. Oh, no, Herc. What are we going to do? Are we going to miss out on Messi versus Ronaldo one last time? The, the, listen, I know people are freaking out more than people, and for good reason, that paid probably a lot of money to go to the stadium and be there like they did for Cristiano Ronaldo and the China Tour, and people are upset. They've traveled. There are things they can't get their money back on. I understand all this. Mm -hmm. I understand all this. And this is the problem when you schedule things like this. Nobody's going to see Al Nassar or Inter Miami. They're going to see Cristiano Ronaldo versus Messi. Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, the last dance. That's what you're signing up for. Everybody wants to see that. So, yes, it's in jeopardy. Yes, it's in doubt. And you can be damn well sure if one of the two can't participate, game over, it's over, mm. reschedule. Mm. Interesting. We said it at one point. We thought that might be the most viewed MLS game of the year. Uh, obviously not if Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't play. Uh, it is, though, the fact that Inter-Miami have already made the trip, right? They already flew over. I don't know if you saw the video of Luis Suarez celebrating his birthday on it's the plane. It's a nice plane, plane that was, right? Uh, I'll tell you what, those uh, charter flights from my days weren't like that. <laughs> yeah, i tell you what, man. An international flight, charter flight to Saudi Arabia. You know you're uh, living high class there. So it'll be uh, Al-Hilal on Monday. That's Neymar's team, no Neymar. It'll be Al Nasser on Thursday next week. That's Cristiano Ronaldo's team. We wait and see if it'll be CR7 against Lionel Messi one last time. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Herc, before we get out of here, quickly, what you wearing over there? Oh, you remember this guy? From his Ajax oh, yeah. days. No más violencia. Violencia. Excuse me. There it Jeez. is. It's been a Maybe day a, for a Hammer of the Year nominee there. Shout out to Theodore. Always got me set. Uh, coming up on Monday's edition of the show, we will be checking in on Inter-Miami's game against Al-Hilal. Julian Laran will be joining us as well as we will be in the final days of the winter transfer window. So maybe, just maybe, we'll finally have a conclusion to Gio Reyna's ongoing saga. And of course, we'll have a full recap of the weekend activities abroad. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Thanks for watching us here on Football Americas. We'll see you on Monday.